My name is Ben Almond. I work for a Fortune 250 company with over 50,000 employees. Using the perspective of this background, combined with my own life experiences and a passion for great leadership, I share observations and ideas for you to use on your development journey. This is The View, from where I sit. Come on, baby. Light my fire. Hey, everybody. Ben here. Last week, we touched on how individual approaches to work are changing with the COVID situation. The fact of the matter is, in most industries or jobs, there will be more people working while distributed now than ever before. This means we need to develop and embrace some new habits if we're going to be successful in the new normal. Achieving goals will rely on an independent approach to getting work done. So it's going to be critical to find your own form of motivation and self-discipline. Today, I want to take a deeper look at what it means to be a self-starter, as most of you probably proclaimed in your last interview. We may even find a few good practices we can use to improve on this superpower. What better place to start than with a look at what exactly we're talking about here? What are self-discipline and self-motivation, at least in this context? Self-discipline is the ability to control one's feelings and overcome one's weaknesses, the ability to pursue what one thinks is right, despite temptations to abandon it. Self-motivation is a power that drives a person to move forward and act. It is a rudimentary means to realize any set of goals by human beings. It's worth noting that we're talking about here is really intrinsic motivation, which is performing an activity for its own sake or personal reward, rather than avoiding punishment or external rewards. So try this combined version turned into a goal for today on for size. Develop tactics to control our feelings and overcome our weaknesses such that we can generate forward movement and action in pursuit of a set of goals. This seems like a worthy objective to me. So why is this important right now? Well, really, all the time. I was initially drawn to this topic as a result of the pandemic and our need to find our own motivation and discipline to overcome the challenges of distributed working. I feel that it's more important than ever that everyone find their own fire and use that motivation to deliver on their commitments while surrounded by the distractions of home and life in the middle of this whole thing. The more I think about it, the more important that this topic is as a foundational element of character. Talent is sometimes referred to as being a gift. The way I see it, when you reach elite levels of anything, be it sport, business, anything, Everyone there is talented. The real differentiator is what you're willing to put into your practice and your work. This stems from discipline and motivation, and there's a separation amongst those at those elite levels. A select few are able to do what others are not because they are willing to do what those others are not. Now listen to that again, really carefully. Some are able to do what others are not because they are willing to do what others are not. So if you're to excel, you'll need more than just talent. You need to be both focused and motivated. Now let's think about an example. For a kid playing minor hockey today, the odds of playing in the NHL are around 1 in 4,000. So to make it to the show, you've got to be outstanding. What does it take to be the best of the best? There are some debates out there over who the best is. But those who know, know. A fellow by the name of Wayne Gretzky is the best there ever was, and maybe the best there ever will be. Gretzky was quite possibly not only the most talented individual ever to play hockey, but also the most talented and dominant individual 
to ever play any sport, ever. With that said, it's not Gretzky's unparalleled talent that makes him the example today. It's his willingness to do what others would not. As the legend goes, a child Wayne Gretzky would, like most other boys in Canada, watch the NHL every chance that he could get. What made him different, however, was that every time he would sit there with a blank piece of white paper and a pencil. Without looking at the paper, eyes constantly on the screen, he would trace the path of the puck on a sheet of paper throughout the course of the game. By the end of the game, he would have a sheet of paper covered in pencil marks, and the darkest areas were where the puck spent most of the time. Years later, Gretzky would amaze the world with an uncanny ability never seen before or since, to know where the puck would be even before anyone else knew they were going to send it there. He famously talked about focusing on going where the puck would be, not where it was. How did he know? He did the work, and that built into his intuition and hockey smarts helped set him apart. Gretzky won four Stanley Cups, made two more trips to the finals. He's a career leader in pretty much every single season and career scoring category. If you ignore his nearly 900 career goals, and he is the all-time leader there, he would be the all-time NHL scoring leader with his assists alone. We can come back to this when we talk in more detail about teamwork in a future podcast. Only one other player, Mario Lemieux, has ever scored 160 points in a season. He did it four times. And no one else has ever scored 200. Wayne Gretzky broke the 200-point barrier four times and had nine 160-point seasons. In other words, he essentially spent a decade with each year performing at a level that only one other player was able to attain in his best season. Wayne Gretzky's ninth best season could only be matched by Mario Lemieux and nobody else. 18 All-Star Games, 10 league scoring titles, 9 league MVP awards, the list goes on and on. But the essence of the matter is not so much that the heavens touched one man and gave him an unmatched gift in terms of talent, but that this man worked as hard as anyone ever has to turn that talent into glory. This is a simple example of how the willingness to put in work allowed him to elevate his game above even the best of the best. While we may not be working at the same level of base talent as Gretzky, I think that we need no more convincing on how important it is to find your motivation. Find that fire inside that allows you to put in the work, and you can not only deliver on your commitments, but you can also elevate your game. Back to today, we have a lot fewer motivators in close proximity, and not many of us have our supervisor sitting in the home office. So nobody is coming. It's up to us. Let's look at how we can approach developing or improving our own version of motivation and self-discipline. We need to start somewhere. Why not with making our own bed? In 2014, Admiral William H. McRaven gave a commencement speech at the University of Texas at Austin. I want to share a bit of that speech for us to consider. He said, Every morning in basic SEAL training, my instructors, who at the time were all Vietnam veterans, would show up in my barracks room and the first thing they would inspect was your bed. If you did it right, the corners would be square, the covers pulled tight, the pillowed centered just under the headboard, and the extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack. That's Navy talk for bed. It was a simple task, mundane at best, but every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors, tough, battle-hardened SEALs. But the wisdom of this simple act has been proven to me many times over. 
If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task and another and another. By the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that little things in life matter. And if you can't do the little things right, you will never do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you'll come home to a bed that is made, that you made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. If you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. You don't need to be a morning person to embrace this concept. The Admiral makes a clear point that generating good habits does not need to start with changing the world. You need to start, and what better place to start than on something within your control? Habits can form by accident, or you can be intentional. I would encourage intention here. Your old habits that help you be successful have probably been disrupted. The current state has us redefining many of our approaches to work. Take some time to consider the times, behaviors that you find make you the most productive and effective. From there, you can create for yourself a routine that sets these practices in place to make them habitual. Here's what I do. My entire workday has changed with the pandemic. I know that unlike teenage me, I'm highly productive early in the mornings, and I do some of my best thinking in the sunrise hours. Pre-COVID, my days involved a lot of time with the team and staff during the day, and utilizing my mornings and end of day to handle my own personal deliverables and work that I can do alone. Once the adrenaline of the early days of adapting to the changes from COVID happening to all of us wore off, I found I was not quite as effective as I would have hoped. Too many distractions? Maybe. Too many meetings? Maybe. Too much of everything? Maybe. So I went back to fundamentals to consider what works best for me, and I've since embraced these things. Simplistically, I start early, focusing on the things that I can do on my own without distraction. By the time a slate of Teams meetings begins, I've gotten some productive work under my belt, which sets the tone for the day. Then I feel like I can focus my attention on the task at hand and be fully engaged. I'm not used to being stationary, so I try to change my environment, get a bit of fresh air if I can during calls. I wrap the day up with more me time, setting out a plan for the next morning that keeps me ahead of the curve for the days ahead. While my days feel drastically different from the old days, I found my groove and I'm feeling efficient and stable again. For your own circumstances, you could have other things impacting your regular routine. Commute change or no commute, family around or not, your work environment has changed almost certainly. Anything impacts this. So take some time, pick some simple things that augment the best practices for you, and then start to develop a routine around them. It may seem awkward at first, but the more you repeat, it'll become natural and ultimately a habit. If you start here, you'll naturally extend this into reliably delivering on your commitments, hitting quality goals, and possibly even find some things that make you better than you were before. Pretty great place to start. These good habits should set you up for real progress, both personally and professionally. But towards what? We've talked about setting goals in a few of our past podcasts, but I'm going to do it again here. Don't lose sight of what we established last week around stepwise progress when things are unknown to you. We all need to have goals. They can be goals for the day, for the week, for the year, or even life goals. Years ago, while training to do my first marathon in a race wheelchair, I came across a guy who was presented as the toughest man in triathlon. I followed him since reading that first article. In my opinion, he demonstrates the ultimate example of setting a goal, visualizing success, and then pursuing it relentlessly. 
His name is David Goggins, and while he may have been the toughest, he is full of substance, offering many lessons, but today I want to share a bit of his story focusing on his ability to set a big goal, visualize success, and achieve it. If you find this story intriguing, I'd encourage all of you to listen to Goggins' audiobook. He shares a story and provides narrative between chapters. It's really well done and very engaging. So here we go. Goggins was a poor African-American boy. You may say he was underprivileged given his upbringing. In his own words, his life should have been a statistic. He was born in 1975 in upstate New York. His father was a violent pimp who beat him and his mother regularly until they left him. He grew up being called the N-word every day of his life. He was labeled with a learning disability because he could not read, a fact made even more pronounced by his stutter. On top of that, he would go on to develop asthma. This all led to obesity, mental illness, and poverty for a while. As a young man, Goggins had almost zero self-confidence and self-worth. Even though his young mind begged for help, no one came. No social justice, affirmative action, or divine hand gave him anything for free. You may find that sad, but the David Goggins today would look to that fact with pride and gratitude. After dropping out of school, he did not obtain higher education or job qualification. He did not have a plan for the future. In his words, his life was one big hellhole. He later joined the army, but he flunked out due to having sickle cell trait. Actually, he would later admit he flunked out due to cowardice. After his discharge, he became obese, spent his days working menial labor jobs requiring little social interaction or skill. One notable job involved spraying for cockroaches in dirty restaurants after closing time. After coming home from work late one evening with a milkshake in hand, he came across an ad. On the television, there were young men his age going through Navy SEAL training. He saw fit and healthy men subjected to physical conditions akin to torture. Something clicked for David. It was fascinating to him why people would do this to themselves. All throughout his life, he had been running away from discomfort. Yet discomfort had always seemed to find him. Right then and there, he decided to split from the program. At this point, he made a choice that would later go on to define his legend. He challenged himself to embrace the darkness. Instead of running away from the pain, fear, and uncertainty, he sprinted towards them like they were the best things for him. And they were. Like Batman himself, David Goggins saw the light in the darkness. He quit his cockroach spraying job and joined the Navy SEALs with a singular purpose. To take one of the weakest men that God had ever created and make him one of the strongest. At first, nobody took him seriously, and many laughed in his face. None of it fazed him. As he trained to lose over 100 pounds in a mere 60 days, all the while studying his butt off, that work paid off, and he was finally accepted into the program. It was not the end of his story, far from it. Goggins went on to complete multiple SEAL hell weeks, in which he endured sleep deprivation, cold, and psychological abuse from the instructors, much like what he saw on television but even more full-colored because it was real life. Where most people don't even finish, Goggins finished the toughest weeks of SEAL training multiple times. No, this wasn't on purpose. His body kept rolling him back, a process where he was allowed to repeat due to health impacts on his first attempt. At first, it was double pneumonia, then a kneecap fracture. Imagine going through hell with your spirit intact and your body broken, only to be told you needed to go through hell again and again. Where most men quit, Goggins kept going. 
he came out of the other side a stronger man, achieving that goal that he had set out for himself, which in his words was, to be uncommon among uncommon people, differentiating themselves even amongst the elite. He would go on to challenge himself in ways unimaginable to the normal human being. He believes that most limitations are self-imposed, stating that when you think you've achieved your maximum, you're likely at about 40% of your true max. So keep pushing, and you'll surprise even yourself. He proves this every day. Beyond a successful Navy career, he has pushed even his own limits. He held the world record for most pull-ups in a 24-hour period, with over 4,000. He finished third place in the Badwater 135, a 135-mile ultramarathon across Death Valley, widely considered to be the world's most difficult foot race. He finished second place in the Ultraman World Championships, a double Ironman distance race widely considered to be the world's most difficult triathlon. He finished first place in the 48-hour National Championship Endurance Foot Race, where he ran 203.5 miles, beating the previous record by 20 miles. He also had top finishes at dozens of the world's most grueling endurance races, including the Hurt 100, Leadville 100, Western States, also completing many other endurance races like the Ironman World Championships in Kona. He states that if you can see yourself doing something, you can do it. If you can't see yourself doing it, usually you can't achieve it. Which leaves us with a key lesson. Set a goal, visualize success, and then pursue it relentlessly. These goals could be simple with near-term focus like completing a deliverable or a long-term goal for your career or your personal life. Ultramarathon, anyone? You must wrap your head around what success looks like. I find it helpful to share these goals out loud, so write them down. Talk about them with someone. It creates a sense of ownership and accountability, and you're way less likely to let it slide. Now, there's another lesson in this story it would be terrible to miss. You won't always be successful. We've talked about not giving up, and this applies here. You need to be okay with adjusting along the way, using short-term failures as fuel for your fire. Most people who excel in what they do have seen failure. They've learned from it and continued to forge ahead. There are many examples out there for us to learn from. Goggins himself failed to get the pull-up record multiple times before he achieved his goal, one time being stopped due to a torn bicep. Yet he learned from what worked and what didn't. He came back at the goal stronger and more prepared than before, and he was able to achieve it. You may have heard of a guy by the name of Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. He didn't make his high school basketball team. He used this to fuel his fire. And while he grew a few inches over the course of the next year, he also grew his skills. And not only did he come back to make the team, he was undisputedly the best player on the court. He, of course, went on to a hugely successful career in the NBA, which was filled with success and doses of failure along the way. He hated that failure, but he used it. He rose back up, each time stronger than he was before he had failed. A few years ago, I had the pleasure of getting to know one of the founders of Skip the Dishes, Josh Simer. He shared their story with me, and it hits home in this context. The idea was a great one, expanding access to great food in an easy way. The idea came to them as they were working office jobs in London, and after a short time, they were dedicated to developing the business and making it a success. As with many startups, it didn't take off right away. Early on, they had access capital, and they were building the platform and the network they needed to make this something real. After relocating back to Canada, the bills were piling up. 
They had amassed an incredible amount of credit card debt, and things were looking grim as they shared a cup of noodles for dinner. This would have been time for them to get jobs and drop this pursuit. They chose to refocus and continue to drive. Their work was rewarded. Just in time, they managed to excite Brett Wilson from TV's Dragon's Den and get investment through a competition his investment firm was holding. This managed to give them the space to succeed, and in 2016, they sold the company for $200 million. Not a bad turnaround from those microwave noodles. We all have some personal experience with coming up a bit short. The challenge is how we react to that failure. Do we let that be the end? Or do we turn it into fuel for the furnace that drives us to get up early, work hard, learn smarter ways of doing things? We can't always control the things that happen, but we certainly can control how we react to them. This is what defines us. Looking back at what we've learned from those who rose to elite levels in their realm, it seems a simple concept. You need to start somewhere, so make your bed. Do a self-evaluation and find your sweet spot, and get started by creating habits that leverage this self-awareness to improve your efficiency and capabilities. Set yourself goals that are purposeful, and visualize success staying focused on those objectives. Check in on them regularly to ensure you keep your eye on the ball, be willing to embrace failure, and learn from it. Through it all, Hold yourself accountable to the best that you can be and constantly improve along the way. I had a leader early in my career that used the phrase, what happens in the dark comes to the light. In a sense, this statement has never been more appropriate than it is today. Most of what you're doing is out of sight of the client or your supervisors. Using some simple approaches, you can up your game while the world redefines itself. Approaching every day with a strong sense of motivation and self-discipline will take you to another level, and the things you do for yourself will ultimately show in everything that you do, allowing you to do all of those things that you hope for in both life and in work. I want to close out with a quote around discipline from our old friend Jocko Willink's book, Discipline Equals Freedom. Freedom is what everyone wants, to be able to act and live with freedom. But the only way to get to a place of freedom is through discipline. If you want financial freedom, you have to have financial discipline. Discipline equals freedom applies to every aspect of life. If you want more freedom, get more discipline. This is the view from where I sit. <laughs>